You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, uh, like we said earlier, we've been in this series talking about how to get through uh, what you're going through. And one of the things that we've kind of reminded ourselves of every week is this Chinese concept called chiku. Um, so chiku means eating bitter. So say that word chiku with me. Ready? Chiku. And it just means that you can eat bitter. You can endure and stick it out through the hard times to endure with your faith. But uh, one of the things that uh, I think we all know is that when we're going through chiku times of life, when we're suffering, it makes us open, doesn't it? Uh, chiku or suffering opens our hearts to, to new things. Now, that's good when we open ourselves to the truth, isn't it? But it can be bad when suffering opens us up to deception. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, a lot of us love and respect the illustrious career of our beloved Tim Duncan, right? Because when he went through injuries and when we, he went through chiku times in his career, he listened to the truth at, as it was offered by Coach Popovich, and he endured and had this long-lasting legacy with the Spurs and even the NBA as a whole. Uh, but then you have on the other side of the equation, confused Kawhi Leonard. Okay. Uh, can I just mention that today uh, with you? And uh, he w- had an injury, had a little boo-boo, right? And then he started listening to the deception of his uncle who was leading him away from the Spurs, right? And so uh, uh, one bitter Spurs fan uh, is, is, is telling you this today. And I would even say that his uncle is full of chiku, man. That guy certainly is. Um, but you see what I'm getting at here. The point of it, whether you agree with me or whether you're a Spurs fan or, or not, is that we're open to either truth or deception, when we're going through chiku or suffering times. And certainly the Thessalonians that we've been studying, by the way, if you've uh, got your Bible handy, open to Second Thessalonians uh, today, and we're going to be going through that. I'll be reading from, from the New Living Translation uh, of the Bible here in just a minute. Uh, but these Thessalonian people, they were going through suffering, and they were susceptible to deception during this time. And the deception that they were susceptible to was mostly related to the end of the world or the second coming of Christ, see? Uh, so there were these conspiracy theories going around about the second coming of Christ, and that continues in modern history too, doesn't it? I can remember back in 1988, some of you like me are old enough to remember 1988. Some of you, a lot of you weren't born even during that time. 1988 is a special year for me because that was the year I was married. Okay? And some of you are thinking, Pastor Doug, you're not old enough to have been married in 1988 because I got married when I was five years old. That's why uh, that, that happened. But I remember that year because uh, it was during that year that there was this book being passed around by a lot of church people all over the United States. And it was written by this guy who was a former NASA engineer. And he was also a Bible student. His name was Edgar Wisenhunt. And the title of the book was 88 Reasons the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. And so this guy was brilliant. I mean, he's very convincing. And by the way, if you're new to church, you, you know, the word rapture, you're like, what is the rapture? Okay. Well, that is when Christians like reverse bungee up out of here and meet the Lord in the air. So just simplify it uh, in those terms is that's what the rapture uh, is. And this guy was so convincing that there were people that were like selling possessions of theirs because they were just convinced that in September of 1988, the rapture was going to happen and they were going to be out of here. Some people get this were even having pets put to sleep because they didn't want to leave their pets behind when they got raptured up out of here. I mean, crazy nut job kind of stuff was happening uh, during that time. And so I was traveling around at that time in my 
entire career to different youth groups, speaking to different groups of teenagers at that time. And I remember traveling to another state. I was speaking to this group and some of them were talking about this book and everything. And I said, look, I want to guarantee you, I'm going to give you a guarantee that if Jesus was going to return, the rapture is going to happen, any of that's going to happen, it, it ain't going to happen in 1988. Lord, I just got married. Please don't let it happen. So anyways, uh, it didn't happen. And I was right. And that, that kind of thing continues on. I mean, you can look at the false Jehovah's Witnesses cult. And even back in the day, Charles Taze uh, Russell predicted many times, as has the Watchtower since that time, all the way from 1878 to 1975, they've been predicting that the world's going to end and they are batting a thousand. They've been wrong every single time. Uh, when are people going to get that the Watchtower and all of that is a load, okay? Uh, then this continues today with a guy named David Mead. And David Mead uh, most recently insinuated that the rapture was going to happen um, on April the 23rd of this year. Well, it didn't happen. And then he said, like, oh, that's just fake news. I didn't really say that. Uh, but he says that the rapture is going to happen sometime between May of this year and December of this year. So it still could happen, but don't stress about it because he's predicted this two other times and he's been wrong uh, both of those times. But here's what happens with most of us. I mean, a lot of us know, hey, I'm not going to listen to some dude with some conspiracy theory, right? Uh, but a lot of us see world events and we start freaking out. You watch Fox News, you watch CNN, uh, the world is falling, uh, the sky is falling, isn't it? When you watch the news and you think, wow, there's a trade war with China and the Russians are cyber meddling and the North Koreans have nukes and uh, some TV preacher produces a book, you know, that says something about blood moons and you think, okay, the end is near, what's gonna happen? Don't fall for the hysteria. And what I wanna show you today is that we don't, we don't need to be shaken by all this. Don't be shaken. Let truth awaken is the one thing I want to kind of get across to you today. So will you say that big idea with me out loud together when I point to you? Ready? Here we go. Don't be shaken. Let truth awaken. And so we're going to break down some truth from 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. Uh, if you're there, and I'm going to show you four truths today um, that will help us to keep from being shaken when it seems like the sky is falling. And number one is don't be shaken. Let the truth of timing awaken. The truth of timing related to end time events. Now, I got this from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verses 2 through 4. Um, Paul says, now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed. Did you hear that? Don't be so easily swept into these kinds of uh, uh, hysteria by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had some spiritual vision, a revelation, a letter supposedly from us. Let me stop there for a minute. So if some guy claims to have the inside track, some insider knowledge that nobody else has, you need to be skeptical of that. Or when someone says, hey, we found another gospel that didn't make its way into the New Testament, some other gospel that everybody doesn't know about that should have been in there, you need to be skeptical of that. Look at verse three. He says, don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness, or aka the, the Antichrist, is revealed. The one who brings destruction he will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. 
he will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. So here's what I want to get across to you today. Is that any person, philosophy, or spirituality that says that you can become a God or that uh, a man other than Jesus is God is antichrist kind of philosophy or spirituality. Do you get what I just said? Because there are spiritualities alive today like Mormonism that says we can ultimately become gods, like New Age religion that says we can be gods. And that is, uh, according to Paul, of the spirit of Antichrist. And the truth of the gospel awakens people to the only God who is to be worshipped. And look, um, how, is, how, how are the end time events going to be arranged? And that's the question. That's what a lot of people like to study and look at. And today, I'm going to show you three of the common views held by Christians throughout history about how the end time events are going to go down. Uh, Now, all three of these views are related to something called the millennium. And the millennium just simply means uh, thousand years, and that's the thousand years uh, that is represented in Revelation chapter 20. It's a a period of thousand years that um, Christ will reign on the earth. And so when I say millennium, you say thousand years. You ready? Millennium. Okay. Now some of you who are over feelers and you don't think things through a lot, you're going to have to hang with me through some of this information today, because I'm going to bring a lot of information to you about the millennium, which is (laughs) thank you for being on your test. Okay. Look at the first uh, view of the millennium. It's called post millennialism. Now, most of you have never been exposed to this uh, view of the millennium. Post-millennialism is the view that the world will eventually be Christianized and that Christ will return at the close of a long period of righteousness and peace commonly called the millennium. This is the view that is taught by uh, scholars like R.C. Sproul and uh, Tim Keller, who's uh, still alive, uh, past, uh, was a pastor in uh, New York City. Um, and let me show you a little chart that give you a feel for post-millennialism and what it's about. You can see um, at the beginning of the chart, the cross of Christ and all of it begins. And they would say the millennium started after Jesus died on the cross. And it's not a literal thousand years, but it is symbolic of a golden age when uh, the earth is Christianized. Uh, a lot of older postmillennialists believe that they could bring in the second coming of Christ by uh, political means or by, uh, you know, evangelizing or helping more and more people come to faith in Christ. So that's postmillennialism. The emphasis in postmillennialism is for believers to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And we like that, don't we? And so a lot of postmillennialists will say, well, hey, uh, Jesus said in the Our Father prayer, uh, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on where? Earth as it is in heaven. So you can see the appeal of this view. And a lot of us who hold different views like that part of post-millennialism that uh, you're bringing the kingdom of God to earth, you're bringing goodness from the kingdom into our reality, which has a lot of badness in it. But look at the second view. It's called amillennialism. And that is the view that there will be no literal period of earthly reign of Christ, or there won't we really be a millennium. Um, either before or after his second coming. This view sometimes is called realized millennialism because it espouses that believers experience the millennium now. 
uh, the people that view this, most Presbyterians, not all, but most uh, Presbyterian ministers and scholars, most Catholic priests, uh, also Mark Deaver, J.I. Packer, uh, and, and many, many others. In fact, this was the view that was taught by most of my um, professors when I was going through my master's degree of theology. Let me show you a chart uh, on this. Uh, you can see that Jesus died on the cross and then the millennium started after that. So it's very similar to post-millennialism in that sense, but it's not a literal thousand years, but it is uh, symbolic of the present time that we're in. Let me tell you just one uh, thought from the gospels. If you read through the gospels and you heard Jesus say, the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, a lot of uh, all millennial folks would say that that's, you know, showing that their view is right. The kingdom of God is here. And then after uh, some time, the second coming of Christ uh, will happen. The emphasis in all millennialism is for believers to realize the kingdom of God is all around them. Now you say, well, those views are very similar, aren't they? Yeah, they are. The difference is, is that um, post-millennialism, the first one I showed you, is a little bit more optimistic than all-millennialism. Post-millennialists believe that the world is going to keep getting better and better all the time uh, before Christ comes again, whereas all-millennialists are a little less optimistic. But let me sh show you the third view, and this third view uh, is probably the one that most of you have been exposed to. Uh, it is more popular at the grassroots level in our culture, and it's called pre-millennialism. This is the view that I kind of have some leanings towards, and this is the view that uh, the belief that the second coming occurs before the millennium, and this view is held by people like John MacArthur, John Piper, um, uh, D.A. Carson, Wayne Grudem, uh, those of you some years ago that may have read the Left Behind books or you've heard of those, um, that is pre-millennialism. Let me show you a chart, kind of a basic version of pre-millennialism. You can see that Jesus died on the cross and that began what's called the church age. Now, the church age will end when the rapture happens. So that's when the rapture is like when believers are kind of reverse bungeed up into the clouds to be with God. And then the Antichrist will take over the earth um, in the seven years of tribulation. All this jacked up stuff's going to happen. And then after seven years of it, Armageddon's going to happen, uh, this big war, and Christ will come again, open up a can on everyone, and things will be better. And then he'll literally reign on the earth for a thousand years. Now, leave the chart up there for just a second because uh, I, I gave you the simple version of that. There are some people believe that the rapture is going to happen midway through the tribulation. Some people believe that, that the second coming and the rapture are actually the same event. And so if you let me, I'll theology geek you all day long about this. We could connect this chart and, and connect this church to dispensations of time. Ever since Genesis, we could connect all kinds of prophecies from Daniel and all over the Old Testament, Matthew 24. And if you'd let me, I would do that. But I know that my crew would mute my mic and tell, stop talking. Nobody's listening. Everyone's falling asleep. That's premillennialism. The view, uh, the, the emphasis of premillennialism is to be prepared for the second coming of Christ. And so some of you like me are old enough to remember these songs back in the day about premillennialism. It's like, there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. You know, it's like your Christian friends get reverse bungeed out and you're like, what happened, dude? I didn't know the Lord. I'm just sitting here eating a taco and everybody else uh, ejected on me. I don't know what happened. Uh, all this kind of stuff. So that's uh, premillennialism there. And uh, as it comes to these three views, which one do you believe? Okay. Um, well, it's kind of complicated, isn't it? Because a lot of them sound good, don't they? 
And that's like me, I, you know, I, I could chart these things all out and everything, but at the end of the day, we have to talk about what we call close-handed theology and open-handed theology. Here's the difference. Close-handed theology is kind of like what Jake was singing earlier about the Apostles' Creed. He was teaching us doctrine through song, right? We believe in God the Father, Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. We believe in the virgin birth. Uh, We believe in the resurrection, all that stuff. That's close-handed theology. We're going to hang on to that stuff, right? That's the truth. If you don't believe that stuff, you're probably not Christian, okay? Um, Whereas Open-handed theology says there's stuff that about the Bible, we can disagree with each other on our interpretation, but we're still friends. We're still good to go. We're all Christians here. It's all good, right? That's open-handed theology. So in light of open-handed theology, I want to submit a fourth option on the millennium. You ready for it? It's called pan-millennialism. And that means it's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> that's, uh, that's my viewpoint. Anybody down with that one? Going to pan out? It's all going to work out just fine. And the emphasis in panmillennialism is to work hard to bring the kingdom of God to earth as a means of being prepared for the second coming. I mean, we don't want to be jacking around spiritually when Christ comes again, when, uh, when the end times events uh, happen, however they're going to go down. And I think Jesus wanted to punctuate this point in Matthew 24. Uh, look at verse 36. He says, however... No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the son himself. Jesus doesn't know. So how is some dude who's writing a book right now gonna know when all this stuff's gonna go down if Jesus doesn't know? You know what I'm saying? Check it out. Only the father knows. When the son of man returns, it's gonna be like Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was gonna happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And that's the way it'll be when the son of man comes. Hey, look, people are gonna be out eating tacos. People are gonna be going to quinceañeras. People are gonna be uh, partying down, all kinds of stuff. And it's just gonna happen, man. You don't know, but what what you do wanna make sure of is that you know you have a relationship with Jesus. You wanna know that you're walking with Jesus the best you know how and serving him. You know, Jesus went to parties, didn't he? And he went to banquets and he went to weddings and all this kind of stuff. So those kind of things are not bad. Uh, That's just the way things is gonna be seem very normal. And then all of a sudden, boom, Christ is going to come again and things are going to change. But um, we've seen the truth of timing, right? That we don't know the timing, do we? We just need to be prepared. But look at the second truth I want to show you today is that don't be shaken. Let the truth of control awaken. And, you know, people start getting all apocalyptic when things, things seem like they're getting out of control, don't they? So look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 5. It says, don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you. And you know what is holding him back. Him is the Antichrist here, right? For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For his lawlessness is already at work secretly. And it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the splendor of his coming. So what you got to understand is when things start getting weird around us with current events, you're going to want to gravitate towards one of these conspiracy theories, right? 
And so you've been watching CNN too much. You've been watching Fox News too much. You're getting all worked up and you're thinking to yourself, what happens? I mean, North Korea has nukes and what's going to happen? Donald Trump seems to be a wild card. Uh, Democratic socialism is on the rise. The Middle East is jacked up. Kawhi Leonard got traded. It's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. And here's why it's going to be all good. Because Jesus is in absolute control. Look, I'm not just saying that. That's not a platitude, but it seemed like things were out of control when he died on the cross, didn't it? And what did he do? He rose again from the dead. It seemed like things were out of control when in the early believers were being persecuted. They were being killed by the Romans and by the Jews, all kinds of people. And what happened? They lived out his ways of love. They completely overcame the Roman Empire where now Rome is the head of like one Christian denomination, isn't it? It is all good. Jesus is in control. And you know uh, uh, how he does it, how he takes control over his enemies when they try and face him? is a couple of different ways. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians here, by the word of his mouth, when he speaks, it's like the world came into being. He speaks, stuff happens, and he can create by his word, and he can level his enemies by just a word, and they're done for. It also says by the splendor of his presence. When you see his splendor, his grandeur, it's powerful. If you think about like during eclipses and stuff like that, we try and look up and we have to shield our eyes from the sun. We have to look through a welding mask or certain lenses or whatever just to be able to look at the eclipses that are happening. It's like looking into the sun. And if you try to look upon Jesus in our current condition, it could consume you. He's way beyond the sun. Can you imagine that? I mean, the sun was a small thing that he created. And so can you imagine the splendor of his presence and what it will do to his enemies? They'll be standing before him and they'll be like, whoa, I can't take it. And they'll be leveled by his presence, the splendor of uh, his presence. And so look at the number three. Don't be shaken. Let the truth about miracles awaken. Miracles. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. This man, the Antichrist, will come and do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Now, you understand that we believe in and experience miracles here in our church. That's why we're having Awaken this Tuesday night that Humby was telling us about on screen. Um, and we're gonna ask God to speak to us. We're gonna ask God to miraculously heal and do all kinds of stuff. But what you gotta understand is that any good thing that God does, the enemy will counterfeit it, right? So that's why when you go to you know the grocery store and you give them a 50 or a 100, they're gonna look up at it to see if it's counterfeit. And they've been looking at the real bills all day and they can spot those counterfeits. And we have to learn to discern the counterfeit miracles of the enemy. Look, some of you uh, have grown up and uh, your mom or grandma took you to the curandero. That is false spirituality. And sometimes what if, Putting an egg under the bed really does suck a demon out of your lungs or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but when those things happen, 
we have to learn to discern. You say, well, Pastor Doug, how is it that I know if a miracle is truly of God? I mean, all I know is, is if I'm sick, I want to get well or whatever, right? Well, the way you know is you discern a miracle by the scripture, by the Holy Spirit that God's placed within you, and also by the fruit of that miracle. So if the fruit of a miracle causes someone to go away from God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, as he's revealed in the scriptures, then it's perhaps a false miracle. Look at number four. Don't be shaken. Let the grip of truth awaken. You have to grip the truth. And if you hang on to, grip onto the truth of God's word, it keeps you, uh, it keeps you to, in a place where you can endure. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, uh, 2, verse 13, and we're going to see what truth is it that we're to grip. We're to grip a a salvation that came through the spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. He called you to salvation when you were told the good news of the gospel. So here's what happens. Some of you don't understand it, but something spiritually speaking, the, the Holy Spirit was drawing you to come into a relationship with Christ. And what happened there is that you believed. You received salvation through your Belief, not your religious deeds, not through your ability to obey God and do all this religious stuff, but it's simply by belief. But it's not just belief in anything. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I just want you to have faith? Just have belief in anything, man. Just if you have faith or belief in something, it's a positive thing. But that's not at all what the Bible teaches. It's very countercultural at this point. We're to believe in someone in particular. So look at the next uh, verse we want to show you there. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 16. It says, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. And so when we believe in Jesus, God the Father, that's when we receive this eternal hope. We can get through what we're going through because we have hope that it's going to end someday and things will be better because of the grace that he's extended our way. But he says he wants us to grip onto these truths. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 15. He says, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching that we passed on to you both in person and by letter. And so it's a strong grip, kind of like in relay races. Have you ever seen, how many of you have seen a relay race? Just get your hand up real quick. Okay, what you know about relay races is that the most important part of the relay race is what's called the exchange zone. Do we know what the exchange zone is? Okay, just imagine that I'm on this rug right here and this is the exchange zone. If I'm in a relay race, I've got to hand off the baton to the next runner and he's got to have it before he gets out of the exchange zone because if he gets it after the exchange zone or before the exchange zone, we're disqualified. If we drop the baton, we're disqualified as well, and we won't win the race, right? So we have to grab the truth just like we would a baton in the exchange zone. You don't want to drop it. Look at the U.S. Women's Olympic Relay Team, okay? Very great athletes, but if you go back in time, if you watch the Olympics, you would have seen that back in 2004 in Athens, these ladies bobbled the exchange, of the baton in the exchange zone. And then you can fast forward to uh, 2008 Beijing Olympics and these women 
dropped the baton in the relay race and they were international favorites to win. They had the best athletes, the best fastest runners, but in the exchange zone, they dropped it. And it wasn't until 2012 that the US women were able to make the exchange and grab the most important thing that's a part of that race. They grabbed the baton And not only did they win the gold medals that year, but they broke a 27-year record in that particular relay race because they grabbed, they gripped onto what is most important. And look, what I want you to understand today is that if you want to endure in your faith, do not get sidetracked by things that are not of most importance. So remember earlier we talked about millennial views and it's important to study the end times in the Bible because it's in the Bible, right? But look, don't get sidetracked by that issue. You can know everything there is to know about all the charts and graphs and the different millennial views, but you have got to understand that when you stand before God, he's not gonna ask you, were you a preterist or were you a realized millennialist or were you a post-millennialist or whatever? He's gonna wanna know, did you grab onto the truth of that which is most important? Look, we talked about miracles too, right? Because some miracles can be false and some of them can be true. And when you stand before God, he's not gonna to ask you, have you experienced all kinds of miracles? You know, he's not going to say, have you experienced gold dust and holy laughter and speaking in tongues or any of that? He's going to want to know, what did you do with the most important truth that there is? The guy that wrote this stuff to us, the apostle Paul told one group of people, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the baton that you and I have to grab onto for our lives and hang on to and focus on. We have to keep the cross, the focus of our church and not other side issues. You follow me on that? Is anybody on board with keeping our focus in that area? No, look. So today, as we wrap up, we're going to have communion. And you know, there are two types of people in the exchange zone today. Right now, some of you have thought about giving up. And before you take communion, I want you to check your heart, evaluate your heart. Because there have been these deceptive thoughts and ideas that have come into your head. Grab the truth again. Hang on tightly to the truth again. It seems so confusing in our world and people all around you are bringing you confusing thoughts and ideas. Grab on to the truth and hold it and evaluate your heart because in another part of the Bible, we're told that we're to evaluate our own hearts before we take communion, aren't we? And if there's something in your heart, in your life, if there's a bitterness in your life, that keeps you out of relationship with someone else, you may want to deal with that bitterness in prayer before you take communion. If there's uh, some, you know, sin that you're involved in that you know is a dysfunctional behavior that's harming you, you may want to go to God and say, God, I ask for your forgiveness for this. And man, I'm going to work on this the best I know how to change and repent and turn from my sin and turn towards you before I take communion. So confess that to God briefly in your heart before you go to the table. And then for some of you, here's what I'm so excited about. Is it someone God brought here today and, and he wants to hold up the baton to you? He's saying, please take the truth. 
and today's going to be your first communion. You know what that means? Maybe you went with church, you know, with grandma to church sometime and you just like did the ritual of communion. You're like, Hey man, what kind of crackers they got up today? there today? I mean, they got goldfish. What, you know, what are they, <laughs> what's going on? Uh, you just want something more tasty. For the first time today, you'll understand as you take communion, why you do it. If you're not a believer and you, you, you don't want to believe, don't take communion because it doesn't mean anything to you. But if for the first time in your life, you want to receive the truth, grab onto the dawn of truth that Jesus Christ, his body was broken on the cross and his blood was spilled on the cross. Take communion today and it'll be your first one. And you can enter into love relationship with Jesus, not the act of communion, but the attitude of your heart to say, I believe that Jesus died on that cross for me. And if you're new to City Church, here's how we take communion. We have uh, four different stations. One is here to your right. The other one is back in that corner on the first floor. A third one is in that corner. And then there's one in the video cafe for those of you that are worshiping there. But basically, we're going to stand you in just a minute. You're going to be dismissed from the service and you'll go to the communion station. You'll take one of the crackers, which represents the broken body of Christ. You'll dip it into the juice and then you put it in your mouth and say, thank you, Jesus, that your body was broken and your blood was spilled for me. Of course, as you take off today, don't forget to get your kids out of Kid City and don't forget uh, <laughs> your worship through tithes and offering and that. And so uh, would you guys go ahead and stand up now? And as you exit, go ahead and go to the communion station nearest you and thank God for his broken body and his shed blood for you through the communion. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.